And when we say this, the press calls us racists in reverse. With skillful manipulating of the press, they're able to make the victim look like the criminal and the criminal look like the victim. Right now, when in New York, uh, we had a couple cases where police grabbed the brother and beat him unmercifully and then charged him with assaulting them. They use the press to make it look like he's the criminal and they're the victim. This is how they do it. And if you study how they do it here, then you'll know how they do it over here. It's the same game going all the time. So we have the important point that anti-black racism and anti-Palestinian racism are connected. So let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the important point is that um, racism itself was an attempt to, you know, racism is a grand word, but even if we're very narrowly describing the pseudoscientific racism of skull measurements and I mean, we can go into the details, like they discovered racial germplasm in labs. They talked about, they had, the British had their index of negrescence. Like, okay, so classical racism in that form was itself a response to resistance, right? It was only after, you know, after slavery, mo after most of slavery, right? I mean, classical racism in this form is in terms of anti-black racism, not neatly a post-slavery development, but principally a post-slavery development, like after, so again, slavery gets abolished in the British Empire in 1833-34, the US 1865, finally in Brazil in 1888. It's after that, that particularly after the British, like by the time that we get to these later abolitions, racism has really picked up steam. But the point is that all of this has to do with defending the indefensible. Why are we enslaving so many people and brutalizing them with horrific torture? Well, if as of the late 1700s, you can't do it because like some people are saying people have rights. Okay, fine. These aren't people. Like this is the level of it, right? We'll talk about it um, a little bit more in the general history, but by the time it gets to the, like I, I don't at all diminish the pre-scramble for Africa enslavement of black people. But it was in the late 19th century that the massive colonial offensive uh, to conquer Africa happened, right? This was justified in the name of the abolition of slavery. The worst white supremacist butchers, the Belgians in the Congo, the Germans in Southwest Africa, who committed the Herero and Nama genocide and which in, in complicated ways fed into Nazi politics. Their line was, we are just trying to save black people in Africa from Arab and Muslim slave traders, right? If there's an evil, we're Christendom. It must be demonic militant Islam. And the main line through the 1920s was that the trusteeship system as refined through the scramble for Africa, the World War I occupations of additional African territory in the British case, the British occupation of Palestine, that whole spiel had a huge history deriving from the use of abolitionism as a weapon of white supremacist conquest. To say this 
and be horrified by a massacre and genocide that was announced as such in German Southwest Africa, now Namibia, or the Belgian Congo, is not to say that we're pro-slavery any more than to say that the hatred of what, like that anger about what's happening in Gaza means that we minimize the Holocaust. The point is that this is the way white supremacy works to deny any moral high ground to the oppressed. This is classical white supremacy. And it's not at all a detailed grounded opposition to fascism and Nazism that results in this nonsense, which is on a different trajectory, like decade by decade. This has to do with Western political cultural developments in racism. People who know the details of the anti-Nazi and anti-fascist struggle know that multi-issue framing was always part of it. Yeah, and, and I mean, just to talk a little bit about colonialism. So after, so slavery ends in the United States in 1865 and um, that's a period shortly after that is a, is the, I mean, not shortly, but a little bit after that is the Spanish-American War when America really gets into the imperialism in a big way. They occupy the Philippines, Puerto Rico, they do the regime change in Hawaii, um, Cuba, of course. And around that time is also what you just mentioned, the scramble for Africa. And so every, every country in Europe, Germany occupies part of Africa, France, which had already been holding onto Al Algeria, takes a whole bunch, Britain, you know, which had already had South Africa, takes a whole bunch, tries to establish a settler colony in East Africa. Occupies Egypt today. in the first big push into that, that then, that then is sort of yeah. build, moves into Palestine another big uh, anti-slavery yes. uh, campaign at the time. Let me just, By, this is yeah. how like, I, the British proconsul in Egypt, who in the name of abolition, helped spearhead the scramble for Africa from North Africa, Lord Cromer, his family fortune derived from slavery. It's literally the case that the Baring family enriched themselves through slavery, then found a way in a very sophisticated British tradition <laughs> of refined lies yeah. of how do we twist everything to our advantage. They didn't give money. You think that you think they gave the money back from slavery? No. Cromer said, if we want the better to continue to ferociously exploit black people, I mean, read, read his in the Edinburgh Review of, 18, of 1908. He's got an article um, on the government of subject races in which he's like, look, I'm as predatory an investor as any of you, but if you wanna be a predatory investor, you have to realize that if we lie, we make a lot more money. If we lie, we can better control an empire, which if it came down to force, we would lose. This lying thing is very important, predatory investors. Right. This was Lord so, Cromer. Again, like an to go- An taboo, but we'll set that aside. <laughs> to go to India, for example, so much of it is done by Indian troops. So that's a huge, hugely important thing. And that's true of uh, what's going on in the Arab, so-called Arab world today, right? The security agreement with Egypt, the security agreement with the Palestinian Authority still holds. You know, it's still holding today. It's, you know, there's some pressure on the Palestinian Authority, but there's, it still holds today. So um, these are the things that you endanger when you go a little bit overboard on your 
hatred of everybody and your no. desire to destroy everything. But it, I mean, it hasn't happened yet. The PA is holding. But my where I'm going with this discussion is like Fran Japan, right? Japan and all these other powers were similarly planning to partition China. They did start to partition China, uh, but they wanted to partition all of China. Uh, and um, everybody developed an ideology of like why they were good colonizers and de deserved colonies. So Germany deserves colonies, France deserves colonies, Japan deserves colonies. And in a sense, there's a sense historically of Zionism developing in this time as analogous as saying the Jewish nation should also have colonies. I mean, and I like that colonial element of Zionism is also uh, repressed, right? Nobody talks about that as but, part but, of but what which is Zionism like, is about. I mean, it's not because I, I would actually sort of deepen analogous. It is like it, it, it in terms of personnel. So you're talking about the way that they describe their colonialism, right? It's very specifically the case during World War One. We'll come back to this, but uh, like we've got a map of, of sort of how this plays, which we'll, we'll, we'll turn to in the fourth segment. The French have a more compelling in Western political culture claim to being the great crusaders, right? Or I mean, this is how it's framed. They also have, through the Catholic Church, relationships with churches in the Holy Land. So the French, as the Ottoman Empire is in, again, World War I, like, so the scramble for Africa, I don't know exactly how we want to date it, but it really accelerates in the 1880s. The sort of Berlin conference is sort of super iconic, but where you put it, like it's happening in the 18, late 1870s. So it continues through World War One, right? As of World War One, British South Africa is pushing into additional, into additional territories. And it's in that context that Palestine alongside additional African territories and alongside additional West Asian or Middle Eastern territories is occupied by the Western powers. France says, maybe we should have Palestine. We have the guardianship of the holy sites. The diplomatic pretense that allowed Britain to hold it was precisely Britain's sponsorship of the Zionist movement, which yeah. in the detailed diplomacy referred back to earlier negotiations that have been happening between the British government and the colonial office and the World Zionist Organization for British settlement in, for, for Zionist settlement, Jewish settlement in East Africa. The, the, the most brutal East African British colonial campaigns of the period were against the Nandi people. And the, I mean, I mean, if you look at the documents of the World Zionist Organization Commission that went to 1905, what's now Kenya, it's called the Uganda proposal, sort of whatever, in Zionist lore. They're, they're saying, well, we're gonna have to have some punitive expedition against these Nandi if this is gonna work out. And instead it's the Palestinians. But what Justin was describing is that there's sort of two models of imperial expansion. One, you kick out the native population and you send settlers. The other is you control through native elites. In practice, the two have been synthesized in most contexts, even, you know, in the US, like we, we can talk about the different modalities of control of indigenous populations, but the most extreme settler cases still, you know, South Africa had Bantistans and they had native administrations yeah. Yeah. like the Palestinian Authority. And that also, and, yeah. 
And then on the on on the elite side, there are the sophisticated imperialists and the you know the people who know Arabic and the Orientalists or the you know the Africanists. And then there are the shock troops, the fascists, the brown shirts, the people who are in charge of destroying and you know destroying the the indigenous basis for um, nationhood. Right? Ultimately, it's it's like if you're trying to supplant a nation on their land you attack their leaders you attack their culture you attack their infrastructure of statehood and you you know you throw them off the land so um you know it's also not like i it's not like a drift exactly like i i think of it as a drift but ultimately it's not a drift because those two strategies are linked the liberal and the fascists are linked so it's more like a question of who's who's in the driver's seat at any given time like right now the fascists are driving but when the liberals were driving the you know the the subjugation continued and if the liberals are put back in the driver's seat the agenda will fully be to have them yeah and i mean so this is what i was saying i guess a little about like hatred getting out of control because israel for sustainable colonial rule would have been much better served to have to have flipped in recent months during this coalition turmoil to an alternative governing partnership that had almost emerged. I mean, we talk about Israel as a democracy. They don't have like they're having all these rolling elections that aren't doing. Netanyahu's on like his fifth care. I, there's this caretake arrangement. I mean, I, the the truth is that um, the disentanglement of harsh words from physical violence was what the best imperialists were all about. So the English were all about like, you know, it doesn't take harsh words to pull the trigger. Kill, don't talk about it, destroy the documents. This is this is the British way. Um, and in the same way, I'm sorry, I lost the thread, Con- continue. Oh yeah, no, I, I just, I wanted to, um, I don't know whether there's things you wanna do, but, but I wanna get to, you know, leap forward to the 60s and just talk about Okay, let me let me yeah. let me go back and say two things first. One, a very important point on the settler colonial thing. Settler colonialism, again, empire is not incompetent. The model that the British had was this, especially as of 1819, when the poor laws got uh, reformed. The British model was, we're crushing the British poor at home. They're miserable. What we can do is the ones we want least, maybe especially the Irish and the Scots, but then also maybe the English poor, we can ship off to the colonial frontier. We get rid of the poor we don't want at home and we secure settlers on the frontier. This is how the warfare against the Zosa people developed in South Africa in the early 19th century before culminating in the scramble for Africa white supremacy. So so Theodore Herzl, the founder of the World Zionist Organization wrote in German as most of the early uh, Zionists did, but the word surplus, he wrote in English, because the, this, the idea was the European Jewish surplus, it's a terrible term, but in the way of the surplus of the British poor would be exported to the frontier. Now, Justin was, was, was bringing us up to the 1960s where, like, again, the Kahanism was first anti-Black, or at least simultaneously anti-Black before anti-Palestinian. But this is the 1960s. I just want very briefly to compare. That's a huge point. 
That's but I just want to very briefly to compare first this American New Yorker, Kahana, who goes and kills in Palestine. Search up the third part of Rabbi Mayor Kahana speaks in Minnesota. You'll hear him refer to Sabra and Shatila massacres in 1982 as a wonderful day. Itamar Ben-Gvir has cited and defended Kahana by name in the Israeli legislature. One of the most brutal theological lines I've sort of encountered from the, like one of the ways that the New Englanders, like the Puritans, justified killing indigenous people. Here's a line from John Cotton. Cursed is he that does the work of the Lord negligently. And cursed is he who keeps his sword back from blood when the Lord calls us to use the sword of authority. So if you're not killing, if you're not asserting settler authority, you could be sinning. Kahana's political party that he first established, the terrorist political party, mainline Jewish organizations for decades have described it as fascist and terroristic. The Israeli government as a racist terrorist organization banned Kach. Kach. This is the line that Kahana seized upon. Go against them as enemies. Just as they do not have mercy on, upon you, so do not have mercy upon them. Merciless killing. The so that introduces the clause merciless killing, that conjunction in Hebrew is kach. The meaning of kach is merciless killing. That it, it's like, um, again, there is a time, this is kahana, there's a time for war, there's a time for hatred. And at touch, such time, it is a mitzvah to hate, a mitzvah to go to war. And the one who refuses violates the mitzvah, abhors God who created morality. This is not Judaism. This is no, the nothing. seizure upon the nastiest pieces. Like you can find a nasty phrase in any tradition and create a hateful philosophy around it. Like that's not tough. Right. And that's the game. In the middle of um, a sentence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll add very briefly that for people who know anti-indigenous butchery discourse in New England, I mean, Cotton Mather referring to um, natives as Amalekites because people who know their Bible will know that if you call someone Amalek, like who Amalek is, is unclear. But the language on kill all the Amalek and blot them out and kill the children, you can find in the Bible. Um, so this Amalek phrase, when you find the Amalek phrase, you're finding settler genocidaire. Like that's just straight up. On though the 60s. Right, so this point that you just made about about anti about kahanism or yeah kahanism being anti-black as foundational to the anti-palestinian racism um, yeah but i mean do you want to talk about rabbi yeah it's just i mean it's yeah. just super super straight historical um which to you know our shame not enough people in in sort of canadian jewish politics uh, remember about like Rabbi um, Maurice Eisendrath. Shall, shall I bring up the article? Uh, no, I, I, no, not okay. yet, I wouldn't okay. say. Okay. Um, Go ahead. I was just going to say that Rabbi Maurice Eisendrath, who was a synagogue, who was a, who was a rabbi at Holy Blossom in Toronto, um, was the first to, to my understanding, refer to the Jewish Defense League established by uh, Rabbi Meir Kahana as Klansmen, basically. And so this is the it. Jewish Defense League just wanted to make a point, got into a fight with some pro-Palestine uh, protesters a couple of days ago. When Klansmen fetch. And, uh, and some, I guess, I gather they got the worst of the, uh, the, the fight. And, uh, and immediately all the, all the politicians have lined up to support the JDL and say, you know, we condemn this, this attack on these 
armed men who <laughs> attacked these other protesters. Um, and yeah, whether the mayor of Toronto, the, the premier of Ontario and so on. Yeah, we'll come back to this, but like, I don't know, let's talk about it now. It's actually not a bad, a, a bad segue. The, the white supremacy that announce, announces we're the bad guys is a myth, never existed anywhere. Um, so the current neo-Nazi line, and when I say neo-Nazi now, I'm just like, I mean, like, you know, the swastika types, the like Charlottesville 2017 right. Nazi, like the people who are actual open Third Reich nostalgists, right. they Which and other is, white supremacists. And they're, they're on the internet and they're, you know, they're out there in Charlottesville, like you said. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I've been, I've been mostly concerned about this, but uh, like, I'm, I'm really concerned about the, the, the far right in North America and Europe. But the truth is that the, the Israeli equivalent, like Sternhell mentioned, are, are much more dangerous right now, overwhelmingly. Um, the, their line is white genocide. So their line is like, it's again, classical projectionism. I, I, the best I can do for it is Europeans saying that indigenous African and Asian people are going to do to Europeans what Europeans did to them. So further white violence is defensive. Like this is just textbook and we see it. In fact, the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith recently criticized Tucker Carlson of Fox News for promoting white, gen white replacement theory. Carlson responds, well, how's it different with your opposition to the Palestinian right of return? Yeah, Richard Netanyahu, Spencer, a very similar thing happened in 2016. There's an article in the New York Times that I always go back to where Richard Spencer was talking to a, to a uh, rabbi and the rabbi said you know you need to learn about love and inclusion and so on and Richard Spencer who's a white national like a white nationalist that's what he says his ideology is he's like okay well then how about you you know love and include uh, the whole Arab world when they come to Tel Aviv and Which, the rabbi was stumped um, like yeah. and I mean the you know and the JDL rallies with the soldiers of Odin types like the there's a split between classical neo-Nazis who aren't willing to be quiet on the Jewish file and those who are willing to be quiet on the Jewish file so they can work with the Jewish far right in attacking Muslims and Arabs. And where it comes to, for example, anti-Latinx uh, racism, it was Benjamin Netanyahu, now Prime Minister of Israel in a sympathy tour in Dallas in 2002, who said, of course we wanna get rid of the Arabs. Don't you have an INS? It's the same with your Mexican problem. Those multi-issue connections are everywhere. Yeah, um, and I mean, that's, that's super, that's perfect because Doubt in Texas was part of Mexico, as was a great deal of southern <laughs> I mean, and western U.S. So it makes. And again, like sense. I don't know if people have heard Netanyahu, but like this is not not a Yankee. Right. Um, again, my point being to stress it: Burke, Goldstein, Merkahana, Benjamin Netanyahu; these are Americans, and returning now to the 1960s, fascists yeah. hate the idea of the self-organization of the oppressed. If people want to look up Zahava Galon's article, We Know the Road to Treblinka, it refers to people, people who know fascism will know the language she's quoting very well, people who are like in Israel describing, we need to be proud to crush the weak. Like this is the big deal. For Kahana, the racial justice movements of the 1960s were the nightmare of all nightmares, right? 1968 was his horror story. How do we send these people back to their hovels. And what he did, I mean, people who are familiar with, um, you know, Malcolm X, Malcolm X, who, who like in the audio of this opens the segment, 
Malcolm X's position was, look, you have no moral position, white Americans, to talk to black Americans and say, why are we angry? Do you know what you've been doing? What are you talking about? There's a, there's a very good biography by, I forget his first name, Friedman is the last name, it's called False Prophet of Kahana, which shows how Kahana worked directly with the FBI to feed information saying, no, this is how we identify the black, like the black, the blacks say, we don't have a moral claim against them. Well, how about they're all anti-Semite? It was white genocide analysis before its time. So what he did is in 1969, when US racial justice movements developed their first very detailed plan for reparations for slavery. First, the plan was to deliver it to churches. And then, I mean, whiteness in the US crossed confessional lines, as did slavery. And the plan was, OK, no, we'll also deliver it to synagogues. As I mean, you know, you can't find a Jewish anti-racist in the States who isn't going to like, anyway. Kahana, armed with bats and chains, some JDL street fighters, and said, you come here to any synagogue, will we'll, like, we'll, we'll threaten violence. And it was at that point, yeah, you might as well show the article if you don't mind, that um, Maurice, the Rabbi Eisendrath, then president of the um, Union of American Hebrew Congregations, the main reformed Jewish organization in the States, said, look, this is Klan politics. I mean, if you can just go down, his quote was, you know, um, if you can go further down, actually, that's uh, Jews carrying baseball bats and chains standing in phalanxes like goon squads in front of synagogues are no less offensive and in essence, no different from whites wearing robes and hoods led by self-styled ministers of the gospel standing in front of burning crosses, right? And it, it's not metaphorical. Like it's, it, it was, that was the white backlash alliance. So Kahana's game was disentangling anti-Semitism from white supremacy and putting anti-Semitism allegations in the service of white power. Do you have the next article after that? No, not there. Give me a moment. I'll just quote it from here. As Kahana was, oh, is it not? Just give me one moment. Kahana was quoted in the uh, Baltimore Sun talking about how Jews should throw their, as he saw it, like it's just an extraordinary whitewash. His position was that Jews should abandon the idea that their interests are in joint fights with black people against white supremacy and identify themselves as part of a composite white nationality in the States, part of the strong. And he, and I quote Kahana, the Jew is the weakest link in the white chain and the black militant knows that few non-Jews are concerned with the Jews plight. The Jew has always been more liberal than other white ethnic groups. So now most neighbor, Jewish neighborhoods are integrated and the militant blacks there practice terror. And this idea that like uppity blacks are getting out of control and whites need to arm themselves. That was the JD, you know, the JDL motto was every Jew at 22, like a 22 caliber, every Jew, like it was a, it was paramilitaristic politics. And there were then bombings of Arab targets with sacrilegious Holocaust references like um, there'll never be any Arabs more in, in, in this country, never again, never again, never again, this, this linking of a never again Holocaust memory with basically calls to almost genocidal violence. The balance of forces, the balance of social forces in the United States never permitted that sort of violence on Kahana's, on Kahana's part against black people. I don't mean to diminish 
the no but it's uh it's done officially through the you know through the police and and also yeah. through that yeah through the co-optation strategy as well right it's done officially through the police um but like so a century ago the u.s would like us to forget according to ku klux klan like historians of the ku klux klan um the president of the day harding was apparently a clan member that was the year that black people who tried to defend themselves in tulsa oklahoma uh, were faced with government armed white militias who bombed from the air and destroyed a vibrant black neighborhood in Tulsa, right? Yeah, which was like the uh, the most visible of many, many, many such uh, stories. Um, uh, totally. I, I, I'm not aware of other ones where planes were involved, is the only reason that I mentioned that. In oh, terms of yeah, ground lynchings, right. I mean, that's, <laughs> I that's the States. Haven't seen, yeah, and then planes again, I guess they firebombed the move. They did firebomb uh, move compound in philadelphia but that was in the 80s so yeah. i'm sure there was i mean i don't know if there were other aerial attacks i'm not here between. to minimize these hor- like a hundred percent but the and in fact the the truth is that I, I i'm in some ways giving way to propaganda in as much as the history in the 1980s of rightist paramilitarist police attacks under like a blanket of lies and whitewashing on the remnants of that sort of wave of racial justice movements that were largely, if not destroyed, certainly decimated in the 1960s and 1970s. And this is what's interesting. In the 1980s, Yitzhak Shamir was really extreme. The current Israeli government has gone further than Yitzhak Shamir's government ever went, both, anyway, in integrating Kahanist. Again, it was under Yitzhak Shamir that they called Kahana a racist and outlawed his political party, where Kahana is now defended by name in, in the Knesset, where he, the biggest yeah, mass I mean, murderer <laughs> of Kahana's teachings, of Kahana's tradition, was featured on the living room wall in a portrait of right. Knesset member Itamar Ben-Gvir. That said, those were days of Reaganite reaction and crushing of people. The way that the Biden administration is trying to play racial justice pretense and clan sponsor, I mean, bonne chance, man, but like, this, I, I don't, I don't. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe we'll we're, see how they do. Yeah. As a, as a, as a mess of lies, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. In any case, I think we can like maybe close that for now, but this position of using anti-Semitism smears in service of extreme or liberal forms of white power has been extraordinarily powerful. To say so is no more to whitewash Nazism and anti-Semitism than to oppose Belgian colonialism is to oppose is to minimize slavery. They use truths to spin falsehoods. That's white supremacy. And what that means That's now is in France, racists can attack the youth in the banlieue saying, oh, you guys are anti-Semites. We're tolerant Frenchmen. And so we have to hate Arabs who incidentally, the hatred of Arabs and Muslims was part of the Nazi canon too. I mean, this is nothing new. Similarly, in the US, attacks on, you know what I mean? Like people know this from the Jesse Jackson campaign, from the the attack on all black led racial justice movements in the States as anti-Semitic, where they get serious, is is like cookie cutter since the days of Daniel Patrick Moynihan. And, you know, labor in Britain just got attacked on the same front. We could go country by country. The Palestinians are in an extraordinarily brave way facing slaughter 
standing up to lies. And what's needed is not charity, but a recognition that like they really are on the front lines of an international struggle around lies and brutality in which all of us have a stake. Thank you.